Amen. Well, we are so glad to have you here this morning with us. It's normal at this place in our study, we would usually ask you to open up your Bible, but we're going to ask you not to do that yet. If you opened up your Bible, it would be cheating. No cheating. Uh, We're going to have a quick pop quiz, a a real Christmas quiz that has become a little bit of a tradition for us around here, and we're going to invite you into that. So no Bibles yet, but in a moment. So hopefully you have a quiz sheet that was available at the door. If you do not have those or you need a pen, would you raise your hands? Our ushers and greeters will bring you both the quiz sheet and a pen if you need it. Just keep your hands uh, up there and let us know which one you're needing or both, and we'll make sure you have those. If you're joining us in the overflow or online, I mean, any piece of paper will do. I mean, grab a notebook, grab a paper so that you could be able to track with us this morning and be able to take uh, this real Christmas quiz with us. All right. Again, this is one of those places that we have gotten into the habit of doing this year after year, and so I hope it's going to land. I hope it's enjoyable. I know for maybe some not, but I mean, I think there's still a weight and a wonder of that And here's the aim. I have called this a real Christmas quiz. What do I mean by real? Real, I mean by what actually happened and what's recorded for us in the Bible. That's the key. We want to figure out how much you know about the actual account of Jesus' birth given to us in the Scriptures. Now, let me just pause and say, if you do incredibly well at this, and some of you are going to, like we may even get 100 here this morning. I don't think it happened in first service. I'm not trying to discourage you, but I don't think it happened. Uh, but it could happen. Uh, you know, if it does happen, that would be great. If it doesn't, I hope it inspires you. Because here's the thing. Um, God gave us the account of Jesus' birth, and it's only two chapters. It's only in two of the Gospels. It's in, in Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel, one chapter each. If you haven't read those, it's good for you to read them today, tomorrow, to let this truth come over it, because we want you to be drawn to what's actually there. So with that kind of preliminary, let's do a couple kind of practices that will help you understand a little bit more what I'm saying and give you a flavor of where we're going so that we make sure before you begin answering the questions that you understand what that looks like. So practice. Right on the top of your little quiz sheet there, uh, practice question number one. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Is eating B, until you are a sphere. C, is getting gifts that you hold dear. D, none of the above. Hey, put your little answer on your quiz sheet so you know which one it is. Question number two, practice. Christmas, December 25th, is Jesus' birthday true or false? All right, so those are the practice ones. You're not going to get counted for this, but I want to help you understand it. If on the first one you put down is singing loud for all to hear, you know your Christmas movie. Like you're, you're tracking with us, that's a good thing. But if you're paying attention, the answer is none of the above because that's not found in the Bible. Uh, we're not asking you how good your Christmas movie knowledge is. We're asking you how much your Bible knowledge is. And so if it's not in the Bible, uh, it, 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 it's not the weight of we're looking into it. Now, it gives you a little flavor to the questions and maybe a little bit into kind of some of the trickiness of the questions. And so you'd be like, okay, pay attention. Like, what's the Bible have to say about this? Not what tradition, uh, not what history or any of those says, but what's actually recorded for us there. That draws us to question number two. Uh, Christmas, December 25th, is Jesus' birthday, and the answer is false. 
False, well, what do you mean false? Well, false because the Bible never tells us. We are never told in the, in the scripture accounting when Jesus was born. In fact, G- December 25th was chosen in history 400 years after Jesus was born. So in history, they, they decided to, to say, hey, we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus on December 25th. And it wasn't based on evidence. It wasn't based on history. It really was to replace a pagan feast, which hands down, let's just understand this. That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to say, hey, we used to celebrate something else. Let's celebrate Jesus. This is not a bad thing, but it's just not in the Bible. So the Bible never tells us when Jesus was born. Could it have been December 25th? Well, yeah, it could have been. It was one of the 365 days of the year, but it could have been any of the other ones as well. Now, hear me as clear as I can say it. If you love celebrating uh, December 25th as Jesus' birthday, I know we have families that might even have birthday cakes for him. Please hear me. You do that. You go for it. Celebrating Jesus is born is a good thing. I mean, if, you, if it becomes this way to saying, I just know, I mean, he really was born. And if we don't know the date, we're, we're gonna, we have a date to celebrate that. That's not a bad thing. I have no uh, message of condemnation for that. I just want to invite you again to say, but it's not in the Bible. It's, it's not in the Bible, so we can't lay that weight. In fact, I'll even go further and say this. If you're here this morning, we probably have a couple that you don't really like Christmas. In fact, you almost decided, thought about not coming to church today because you're like, oh, they're gonna be like all Christmassy and I don't know if I wanna be Christmassy and I just wanna say we love you. And if, that's, if you're not a Christmas person, that's fine. The key is the birth of Jesus and you can focus on that. You can get past the fluff and say, you know, I'm gonna focus on the real deal because that's what really is exciting and that would be a good invitation and worthy of that invitation to draw you to the reality. Okay, so now you have a flavor uh, of where we're going in the midst of this. I'm hoping it's a little bit of fun. I hope it's not too frustrating. You know, uh, some of the questions are the same as previous years. So some of you can be like, I remember this one. I always create new ones. Uh, Sometimes just so you can try to see how much you, you know, know that you weren't expecting to be asked in case. I know I had some people probably, you know, kind of studying last night, like you knew and you were getting ready for this. So I changed it up a little bit just to kind of catch you, but let's take a moment before we dive in and let's just ask God to help, that he would help us both to have fun, but also just to gain what he has you to hear out of this moment. Father, I think about this moment and I do pray that, Lord, you would meet us in joy and even just humor and just the, the, that's a gift from you. And I pray that we find it to be that this morning. I pray against any kind of frustration or any of that but I'm praying for something more. I know in the midst of this, the heart of it is we want to know the real thing. I want us to know the real thing. And and Lord, I pray that you give us a heart for that. And in that, would you, in your mercy and grace, would you help us to understand? Uh, Would you take something out of this morning and make it ours? Would you give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us? And that's going to be different around the room, but I pray to hear it and that you would speak to us in a way that we would genuinely get it. We pray for help in it right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. 20 questions. We're going to go kind of quick. I understand that's a little bit of the frustration. Somebody's going to tell me after this, like, hey, if I'd had more time, I would have done better. You probably would have. You probably would have. You still get the score you get. Uh, some of you are going to tell me, Jim, I think your questions are unfair. It's probably true. Still my questions. And, and so you still kind of get the answer. If you kind of disagree with me, you can disagree with me. But I do think in the midst of it, uh, you, you're going to see where it is. So let's launch in. Question number one. 
The first promise of Jesus' birth is found where? Is it found in A, Genesis 3, B, Psalm 22, C, Isaiah 7, or D, Mark, Micah 5? The very first promise of Jesus' birth, where is it found? By the way, no, no, no cheating, no helping anybody around you, you know, kind of deal. This is going to let everybody land on their own, so we're just going to let it go there. All right, number two. What does Emmanuel mean? A, Messiah. B, God with us. C, Son of God. D, save now. What does Emmanuel mean? That term that's found in the scripture, found in the story, that is part of our songs, what are we singing? All right. Number three. The wise men came and worshiped Jesus in the manger. True or false? Number four. Who was told to name him Jesus? A, Mary. B, Joseph. C, both Mary and Joseph. D, neither of Mary or Joseph. Who was told to name him Jesus? Number five, why? Why did they name him Jesus? Was it A, it was Joseph's grandfather's name, B, a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, C, he would save his people from sin, D, the Bible does not tell us. Number five, Joseph and Mary did not name him Jesus, until eight days after he was born. True or false? Number seven, Mary responded with belief when the angel announced Jesus' birth to her. True or false? Number eight, who was governing Syria when Jesus was born? A, Haziel, B, Rezin, C, Quirinius, B, D, Ben-Hadad. All of these, by the way, were rulers of Syria at some point in the Bible. All of them are recorded, so either a king or a governor, but who was the one governing Syria when Jesus was born? Number nine. On what did Mary ride to Bethlehem? A, a blurg. Now, you're only going to get that, by the way, if you're doing the Mandalorian. So if you don't have any idea what that is, hey, we understand, but hey, you can go there. But A, a blurg, uh, B, a donkey, C, a camel, uh, D, none of the above. Going to be a Mandalorian fan here that's going to be like, it's a blurg, just because it has to be, and just, yeah. Number D, number 10, excuse me. Why did Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem? A, it was where they lived. B, it was where Elizabeth was. C, Joseph was David's heir. D, none of the above. Number 11. Halfway there, you guys doing good? Kind of feeling confident? You guys like, oh, you're resonating with confidence here? All right, number 11. Joseph and Mary arrived in Bethlehem the night that Jesus was born. True or false? Mm -hmm. 
Number 12, Joseph and Mary were married when Jesus was born. True or false? Number 13, what did the innkeeper tell Joseph? A, you're not welcome here. B, there's no room in the inn. C, you can have my room. D, none of the above. Number 14, which animals were at Jesus' birth? A, sheep. Oops, sorry, let me go back there. All right, there we go. Come on, thing. A, sheep. B, sheep and donkeys. C, sheep, donkeys, and pigs. D, none of the above. All right, number 15. What did the angel tell the shepherds? A, many shall rejoice at his birth. B, I bring you the gospel. C, he will be called son of the highest. D, for with God nothing is impossible. Number 16. What two signs were given to the shepherds so that they could recognize Jesus? You need to pick two of these. What two of them were the way that they were to recognize Jesus? A, he glowed. B, a manger. C, swaddling cloths. D, a star. Seventeen. A manger is A, a bassinet, B, a hollowed out rock, C, a cave, D, a wooden feeding trough. All right, three more, three more. You guys got it. You're going to do it. Eighteen. How did Simeon know Jesus, the Messiah, was going to be born soon? Was it A, an angel told him, B, the Spirit showed him, C, from studying the Bible, D, he saw it in a tortilla? (laughs) Number 19, how old was Anna when she met and got to hold Jesus, baby Jesus? Was she 54, 64? 74 or 84? Last question. Who did Anna tell about Jesus' birth? A, all who would listen. B, those who are looking for redemption. C, those who are fasting and praying. D, to the widows serving in the temple. Who did she tell about Jesus being born? All right. You guys did good, I know, right? We're going we're gonna to post this online. You guys are going to have like A's. We're gonna, I'm just kidding. We won't do that. But let's give it a shot. Let's go and see how you did and, and walk through the answers rather rapidly, but hopefully helpfully. So the very first promise of Jesus' birth is found where? A, it is in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3. Let me put that verse on the screen. So the Lord said to the serpent, that is to the devil, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He, speaking of Jesus, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is not a minor point. 
This is like three chapters into the Bible. I mean, we are in the very chapter where sin broke the world. And at the moment where sin broke the world, God gave a promise. It's what's known as the first gospel or the proto-euangelion, which is the Greek word for the gospel. And it's the idea, it's the very first promise of the gospel in the scriptures that he says, you know what, I'm gonna send hope. And he tells the woman it's gonna be through her seed, so through her lineage, but without getting too technical, uh, if you know your anatomy, uh, that's not how it works. Uh, It's not how it works for a woman, so there's already a promise of the virgin birth in here, but he says "Through, through you, through you, there's gonna become hope and he is gonna crush him. He's going to crush the devil because the the Messiah is the hope. That has always been the story. That has always been the resounding story for all of history. So huge deal that we understand that which we celebrate today is the culmination, the weight, and the wonder of all the story of the Bible. Good news for us to understand. All right, number two, what does Emmanuel mean? Maybe you sang it. Maybe you see it. What does that actually mean? It's spelled a couple different ways, sometimes with an I, sometimes with an E, same deal. What is the answer? Well, the answer is B, God with us. You might answer, well, Jim, that's great. How was I supposed to know that? Well, it's recorded. In the only two chapters that record Jesus' birth in Matthew's gospel, it gives it to us this way. It says, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is translated God with us. So in your Bible, it tells you, hey, this is what we're celebrating. I mean, this is God with us, this baby born in a manger, that song, that, that little video I showed you a moment ago. This is God, the God of gods. He's with us. It's a big deal. It's part of the story. It's that which we should understand. All right, number three. So the wise men came and worshiped Jesus in the manger. The answer to that is false. No, they didn't. How do we know that? Well, it tells us pretty clearly. Let me just put some of the verses up on the screen. So in Matthew's gospel, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. It was after Jesus was born. If that's not clear enough, it goes on to tell us, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. That's actually a really technical term in the Greek language. It's the term for a, for a toddler uh, that would probably be there. That means that what they're looking for is a toddler and probably somewhere one, maybe two years of age. We know that because Herod, you know, seeks to slaughter all the, the children in Bethlehem and he starts at two. Now, most likely he's overestimating it, you know, just to kind of catch it, but probably about a year old. That's a good guess uh, as to when the wise men would get there. In fact, it goes on to tell us Uh, When they had come into the house and they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, they fell down and worshiped him. So the wise men, they never make it to the manger. They come later, not to the manger, but to the house where Jesus is. This makes most manger scenes inaccurate. Most manger scenes, you know, kind of have the wise men showing up there, kind of presenting their gifts of gold, silver, and and myrrh right there to to the baby, and they didn't. It's probably a year later. So again, if you want to have like a biblically accurate manger scene, we we kind of do this. So we have a manger scene that we got over in Israel, and we take our, our wise men and we put them all the way across the room. Like, they're like way over there. So like when Jesus is born, they're like, oh, dude, like we're gonna like way, yeah, it's gonna take us a year to get there, you know, kind of deal. So however you do it, but again, it's sometimes just good to say, okay, well, you know what? Manger scenes can be wrong. And, and, and stories and 
movies and stuff, they put that there, but it didn't happen that way. The wise men didn't show up there at the manger. Good for us to know. Number four, so who was told to name him Jesus? The answer is both. Both Joseph and Mary were instructed to name him Jesus. Let me just put those verses on the screen. So speaking to Joseph in Matthew 1, it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. So Joseph gets the message, hey, this, you're going to have this one. I want you to name him Jesus. But then the angel also appears to Mary in Luke's gospel, and it says, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. So they're both given that message. And again, maybe that's a little bit tricky in the midst of it, but not bad for us to notice. In fact, if I can just toss this out as just like a quick little FYI marriage advice for you married couples here. Hey, making really big decisions, you guys should be unified. Even the Holy Spirit is going out of his way to make sure they're on the same page. Good little piece of advice there for us just to kind of take that however it lands. All right. So why did they do it? Why did they name him Jesus? I mean, yes, the angel told them, but, but what was it doing? Well, the answer to that question was that he would save his people from sin. Again, that's what it tells us. So in Matthew's gospel, as it unpacks it for us, it says it this way, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for. That word for is important, right? It's a because, like here's the reason you're gonna call him Jesus. He will save his people from their sin. That's what Jesus' name means. It means God saves, or Yahweh saves. And it is this idea that his very name is, is why he's coming. He's coming to be our savior. He's coming to be God who saves us. And that's not an unimportant thing. And again, it's the reason why we call him Jesus. Not only was it instructed, but it has weight and wonder to it. All right, well, so far I've kind of put the verses on the screen, but for the rest of our duration, I'd like you to see it in your own Bible. So if you brought a Bible, would you open it up? Go with me to Luke chapter 2. I'm not going to put the rest of the verses on the screen for this reason. I want you to see it in your own Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we have provided them for you. They're in the chairs in front of you. Page number on the screen. You want to open up an electronic device and that works better for you? Do that as well. Have a Bible so that, again, this is the emphasis. We want you to see it on the page and the rest of the questions come out of Luke's gospel alone here. So that's what we're going to see it in the midst of it. If you're in the overflow online, it's our same invitation. Open up a Bible with us so that you can see the answers that we're going to begin unpacking. All right. You guys doing good? Doing good? We are like, you've done five. You're, you're about, you know, one, I don't know, one-fourth of the way through it. So may God help us as we continue here. Joseph and Mary did not name him until eight days after he was born. Answer is true. True, yeah, fast forward down in your page there. Chapter two, going on down to it, Jesus is born, and then it tells us in verse 21, and when eight days were completed for circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus. I mean, they knew he was gonna be called Jesus, the angels had announced it, but they didn't declare it till this moment, uh, the name given him to the angel before he was conceived into the womb. So again, just kind of part of the story that sometimes we, we read it and some of you are like, I don't know if I've ever read that. 
who stuck that in my Bible? I don't remember that, you know? It's like, well, no, it really, I mean, so it tells us one week after he was born, he's actually named Jesus. All right. Number seven, Mary responded with belief when the angel announced Jesus' birth to her. Answer is true. Now, I recognize there might be somebody who wants to kind of contest with me on that, and if you really want to give it a good job, I'll give you like half a, a point. But not everybody gets that. But it just honestly tells us that that's how she responded. Why don't you just notice it, go back a chapter. So Mary's getting the, the whole declaration there. And so when the angel tells her that she's going to have uh, this child and he's going to reign, Mary says in verse 34, how can this be since I don't know a man? She asked a question. But it's interesting to note the weight that the scripture records it. It isn't a question of doubt. It's really a question of like, how do we, like, how is that going to happen? The angel explains it to her and she responds in verse 38. Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. She says, okay, you said it. Then let your word be true. Let your word be true in me. What you said, let it be. In fact, when Elizabeth meets Mary, she says it this way in verse 45. Blessed is she who believed. For there will be fulfillment of those things which are told her from the Lord. So the scripture tells us she believed. Now, that's a big deal because if you know all of Luke 1, this is held in contrast uh, to John the Baptist's parents who they didn't believe. They, they were filled with doubt and God you know, strikes Zacchaeus, Zacharias excuse me, with, with inability to speak for nine months because he didn't believe it when it was told, but Mary did. She finds us a good example of those who would say, okay, God, I, I believe your word. What your word says, yes, that. Let's do that. So it's a good example for us, worthy of us at least kind of catching it in the midst of this. So who was governing Syria when Jesus was born? Answer is C, Quirinius. Quirinius. Well, yeah, you're saying, well, how would I have known that? Well, that's what it tells us. Go there, Luke chapter 2. I want you to see it in your Bible. Verses 1 and 2. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. What an interesting little insertion, by the way. I mean, we have such a very brief account of Jesus' birth, and yet the Holy Spirit found it worthy to take one whole verse of this chapter and toss in this nugget that, again, for some of us, we're like, I don't ever remember reading that, you know? Like, that's one of those names, and it's like, wah, 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 you know, just, you know, whatever, and, you know, you just, but you, it's important. What makes this important? Well, let me say it in the most singular way that I can. Hey, the account that we're reading, it's fact, not fiction. This is not a fairy tale that would begin as many fairy tales do, you know, in a land far away, you know, and, you know, once upon a time in some you know, distant place that, you know, it's, it's, it, it roots it in reality and said, this happened. This happened when, when Caesar Augustus made a decree and Quirinius is governing Syria, which isn't even right there. Syria, even as you know today, it's, it's not next door to Israel. It's, it's far away. And yet somehow the Holy Spirit wanted us to look on this and just, you know, know, hey, this is fact. This is not a fiction. This is not some fairy tale. And it shouldn't be treated that way, which is, again, part of our point this morning. If, we're, if, if anything's landing out of this, there's a danger that for some of us, we've fictionalized the most incredible story ever. And we notice things that aren't there instead of paying attention to what God has actually said. All right, so you guys are tracking. Number nine, 
What did Mary ride to Bethlehem? And the answer is none of the above. None of the above? Well, wait, wait, what? You know, I really thought it was a blurg. No, you didn't. Um, but no, you really, I, I know this for some of you, you really thought it was a donkey, but it's not mentioned. Why don't you just notice with me in your Bible? You have it there? Notice with me verses four and five. And I just want you to hear it and try to imagine what's being said. Joseph went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. That's all. I mean, that's all it tells us about this journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. There is no donkey in the picture. Now, could she have ridden a donkey? Yeah, she might have. She might have ridden a donkey, but here's the important part that I just want you to glean with me right here. It doesn't tell us that. Could, she, could it have been that she didn't have a donkey? Yeah, maybe she didn't because she was desperately poor. We know that because in the verse 8 goes on to tell us that even as they come to make a sacrifice, they make a sacrifice of doves, like the poorest of the poorest of people. Having even a donkey was probably maybe beyond them. Again, maybe it was there, but it just isn't necessarily part of the story. But the funny thing is, for most of us, that's exactly how we picture it. If I were to put up a graphic right now with a woman riding a donkey down a hill, you would be like, oh, it's Mary. I know who it is. I mean, it's Mary. I was like, I, I just know. I mean, woman riding a donkey, that's Mary. I mean, like, that is how we have just wrapped our mind around it, but it's not a part of the story. Now, in the history of our Bible quiz, by the way, this has often been our most controversial question. Like, I've literally had people like, no, Jim, I know it's there. I, I know it's there. And I just went, okay, you find it. You know, you find it there because it's not actually in the text. It's like, but I've always, I mean, I mean, every time, every play, every movie, it's always a donkey, and, and it, it's just not part of the story. And, and the weird thing is that we attract ourselves to, to things that aren't a part of the account and don't focus on the things that are. All right, so that takes us to number 10. So why? Why did they go? Why did they go to Mary, Joseph, Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem? The answer is C. It's Joseph's heir. That Joseph is, the, is their heir. In fact, that's exactly what it told you in the text. In fact, we just read it, but notice it in verse 4. And Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because. Catch the because? You catch those like, hey, this is a weighty moment. Because he was of the house and lineage of David. He's David's heir. Is that important? Oh, it is so important. God told David that the hope of the world was going to come through him, that the Messiah, there is this scarlet thread that runs its way through the whole of the Bible that began back there in Genesis 3, that kind of promised it to Adam and Eve, and then it traces down through the lineage, gets to Abraham, it's going to be through Abraham, gets down to David, it's going to be through David, and so it's as if you're just looking and thinking, so when is it going to happen? And, and this is why they come. I mean, when the census happens and they're forced that way, it happens because it lets us know this is David's heir. He's in the, in the lineage of the Messiah. And, and that's not an unimportant part. You might look here and think, well, Jim, that's a silly technical question. No, it's not actually a really silly question at all. It's an important question that you would recognize the weight of what's moving in all of this is the incredible threat of redemption that's moving through the scripture. All right, so you're halfway there. You guys are doing great, right? Really, really good. Some of you are like, man, I've, I've, I've aced it so far. I know that. No, maybe not, but hey, close, close. All right, number 10. I'm sorry, number 11. 
Joseph and Mary arrived in Bethlehem the night that Jesus was born? Answer is false. False? Well, yeah, that's what it says. Go, let's go back and read it there in verse 6. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. It's actually a really clear declaration. Luke, who is a doctor, writes things often in the scripture that just helps us understand it. And if it was the idea, like when they got there, it would have come across that way. Instead, it says, while they were there, days. They went through days, and those days are completed, and they, they're going to have the baby then. That's just helpful to understand, but again, it kind of just explodes, you know, some of the, the, the fable, some of the myth, some of the, you know, most Christmas plays, because that's how it works, right? You got the Christmas play, and they're running in on a donkey, and, you know, trying to find a place at the last moment, uh, and I don't know, that's just, that's pretty, like, lacking compassion from God. I don't know, it's just about poor Mary. I mean, uh, you know, it's just, no, I mean, they, they were there. Could they have been there days, weeks, maybe, maybe? And while they were there, the days were completed. So it wasn't on the very same day. It doesn't come across that way. The Bible doesn't tell us that. So again, helping us to get it. Number 12, Joseph and Mary were married when Jesus was born, and the answer is false. Guess what it tells us? Verse 5, notice it there. It says, they came to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, for they were a child. Now, true story, um, betrothal in, in Jewish culture was a bigger deal than engagement in ours. To break into betrothal, it was, it was near, you know, kind of divorce, but it's still not marriage. They're not yet married. They haven't, they, they haven't yet, it says they're still betrothed. They're, they're still betrothed to, to, to huddle toward that. And so that's an important part of the story. May help us more in just a moment, so hang on to that. But good, again, just to think it through. 13, so what did the innkeeper tell Joseph? And the answer is, well, this is one of those tricky ones, but just track with me, none of the above. None of the above. Uh, that's not there. Let's go back and read it in verse 7, if you will, with me just for a moment. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the end. Technically, let's just begin and say, hey, there's no innkeeper in that verse. And so that's a little bit part of the tricky question, but it's actually meant to be a little bit more. So no innkeeper is mentioned, but let's press it just a tiny bit more. There's probably not even an end. There's probably not even an end. Yeah, let me put it up on the screen, the verse that I just quoted. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. It's important for you to understand that's not a hotel. This isn't a Motel 6 kind of thing. That's not how culture worked in those days. Very few traveling places that would be anything near a hotel. Most of those uh, just places of ill repute that just didn't exist even in Jerusalem at that point in time. I mean, it's a holy city, but more than that, in Jewish culture, to show hospitality was one of the highest of honors, that, that people traveling would even stay with people they didn't know. I mean, hospitality was huge, so there really wasn't a hotel chain kind of thing inside Jerusalem. Even more so, again, we think about this whole thing, it's not probably that. Instead, it's probably better translated guest room. 
and that there's no room for them in the guest room. Now, hey, quick FYI, I don't know, I meant to kind of take a picture of it. I don't know how many of you guys get the, like, the Sunday morning funnies. Uh, if you did and you read it last week, it already gave it to you. Linus was there in the Phoenix cartoon, and he was unpacking that. He was like, this, the word in, it doesn't even mean in. It means like guest room. And so, you know, you, you, you could have already been ahead, you know, just by reading the funnies. But, okay, sorry. Totally random, just got tracked there. Let's go back to it for a moment. So it's probably a bad translation in our English translation. The Bible's written in Greek. It's translated into English. And so when they translated it, they put in, but they're not consistent. Every other space where this word is used in the New Testament, it literally is translated guest room. And maybe one of the most profound is 33 and a half years later. That Jesus, uh, he comes, he gathers there before he gets the disciples to go to the cross, and he gathers them in what we know as the upper room uh, to take part in communion, and in that space, it's called a guest room. Tells it to us this way in Luke 22, same gospel, by the way. This used to say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where's the guest room? Where's the guest room where, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Where's that space? A guest room was often a large room that you could have a meal in, or you could entertain guests in. And so it's probably that that has no room in there. So is this important detail? Is this just one of those trivial little things that I'm just making fun and making you miss the question kind of deal? No, not really. And I wanna just try to give it quickly this way. So why is there no room in the guest room? If a guest room isn't a hotel that just happens to have no vacancy, if the guest room is Friends, family, most likely family. This is Joseph's extended relatives. Why is there no room for a pregnant woman in the guest room? Well, again, we're just gonna have to use a little bit of holy guessing here at this moment, and so it's a guess. You can just like say, Jim, it is. It wasn't really part of the question, so you didn't get it wrong, but it's most likely because they're not married. It's most likely because they're betrothed and she's pregnant. This is culturally something that now is controversial. It, it's become something that is now separating them. Who's gonna believe it? It probably has created this place that the family is not welcoming them in. Why do you need to know that? I just wanna give it to you this way. It would be great if in this room right now, every one of us was having an absolutely stellar time in life that your family and everything around you was, you know, kind of that Hallmark movie, perfect story, and maybe yours is. If it is, it's great. But maybe you're here and you're like, Jim, my story's a mess. My story's a mess. My family's a mess. You know, sometimes I come towards this on Christmas morning and I feel like I don't belong. Like my story doesn't fit the story of the Bible. Like my, my family's a mess. There's, there's animosity, there's division. People are angry at each other. You know, and it just doesn't feel Christmassy. Well, your version of Christmas is different than the Bible's version of Christmas because this version lets us know that that brokenness is exactly what Jesus came into. That Jesus, he's born in, in, into that very space so that if you feel that way and you feel left out this morning, it's not because of God. In fact, I just wanna invite you in. I just wanna invite you in and say, we have a God that kind of into the brokenness of life sent his son. And it was a broken situation from the very beginning, which carries weight and merit in this moment. And it's worthy that you would know it, if alone for that. All right, let's go back to our questions. So 
We get that one. Hopefully it's helpful kind of tracking in the midst of that. Number 14, which animals were at Jesus' birth? And the answer is D, none of the above. What do you mean, Jim? Well, in the text, it doesn't mention even one animal. Let's just notice it there in verse 7. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for him in the inn, no room in the guest room. Could there have been sheep there? Yeah. Could there have been donkeys there? Maybe. Could there have been pigs? Probably not. I mean, this is Israel, by the way. You know, that's an unkosher animal. Come on, guys. Um, But it's just not mentioned. Maybe. Could they have been there? Could be, but they're just not part of the story. Why do I tell you this again? Well, because it's a funny thing. The things that have nothing to do with the story often have the biggest focus in our lives. You know, we, we, we think about Christmas plays and pageants, and so often it's the animals. I mean, like we had this great Christmas play last week, and the, ant, the sheep that came running down the aisle, for those who are here, this is great. It's just not there. You know, it's a funny thing that for some of us, it's like, well, that's, you know, the, the sheep, the animals are there, it's, you know, maybe, but they're just not part of the story. And so maybe what has you attracted to the Christmas story is not even a part of the Christmas story. It's not about a donkey. It's not about animals. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about the scarlet thread of redemption. It's about this powerful promise of who he is, and it's worthy of you just getting that. All right. Number 15. What did the angel tell the shepherds? Okay, quick FYI. It was a tricky question. Everything in this four were actually things that were said to these moments, either to Joseph or to Mary, or to the shepherds. So that just makes it complicated. So I just want to give you grace. You still got it wrong if you get it wrong. But I just want to give you grace anyway in the midst of it. So what's the answer? The answer is B. I bring you the gospel. I bring you the gospel. Wait a second. You say, Jim, that's not how it reads it. Well, let me put it up on the screen. Luke 2, the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings. That's the New King James Version. Good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Some of your translations would say good news. I'm going to bring you good news. Good news of great joy. That's great. But good news is the word gospel. If you take the word gospel any other place that's used in the New Testament, it's the same word. The word gospel literally is good news. It is the good news. I kind of wish they translated it that way. I wish the English translation would translate it that way. So if you read it that way, it would say it this way. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you the gospel. I bring you the gospel of great joy, which is going to be for everyone. I think, that's, I think that's weighty. I think that's important. I think it's powerful that the message of it is the gospel. The message of it is that. And so we want to hear that. More on that in just a moment. So hang that thought for a second, but let's go back to our quiz So number 16, what two signs were given to the shepherds so that they could find this one who is the gospel, who is the gospel that's coming? Well, first of all, he didn't glow. I know that you probably don't think so. I mean, maybe you did, but let's just talk about this for a moment. I don't know why it happens. I mean, it's a very Catholic thing, I guess, and very historical. I don't know why so many Christmas cards have the baby glowing. Like, you know, it's like this, like, like the, in the manger glowing. And I just, you know, the problem is some of us have seen it so often. We're like, well, yeah, he glowed. But I can tell you he didn't. In fact, I can tell you what Isaiah says. He had no form. He had no comeliness about him that anybody would have recognized him or desired him. You would not have walked by and gone, oh, I know that baby's different. He looked like every other child. There wasn't anything that signified him different 
than other children. He didn't glow. He didn't glow. So let's just kind of begin there. Also, the star, that's given to the wise men. That's how they make that journey east. And so that's not how the shepherds do that. So that only leaves two. That is, it's the manger and it's swaddling cloths. Now, this is really, really big. And so let's just think this through for a moment and hold that thought because I want you to understand that's how they're going to find him. Put a pin in that. We'll come back to it after this next question. So 17, what's a manger? You're going to take Jesus and he's, you know, he's born in a manger, laid in a manger. What's a manger? The answer is a hollowed out rock. That's a tricky question. That's a tricky question. But again, it just tells us they laid him there, there in verse 7. They brought forth their firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger. Almost every manger we ever see, right? Every kind of you know, nativity set, it's got this nice little wooden kind of you know, X-shaped manger, very American, very European, very unauthentic. Go with me to Israel sometime. Some of you have gone. If you go with me to Israel, I'll take you through some of the ruins, and we'll look at some actual mangers. And this is some. This is this is there uh, there in Israel. And so these are kind of uh, you know kind of the, the the diggings from a burial from a archaeological site. What you're looking at are mangers, and I just want you to notice with me they're made out of stone. They're made out of stone. This is one that's a little bit closer that it would have been that way. And I just want to tell you it's a powerful reality. How would you have ever known that? I don't know unless you'd done taking my quest before. I don't know. So if you hadn't, again, grace, but you still got it wrong. Um, but uh, just, you know, in the midst of it, uh, it just helps us to, to see this and because it's important. Again, see, Israel doesn't have a lot of trees. They didn't use it for building. In fact, if you read through the Bible, whenever they do big building projects, they had to bring the, the trees from Lebanon because they just didn't build that way. Everything that was built in Israel is built out of stone, even to this day. Most of their buildings are, are covered in stone. It's a massive and amazing thing, by the way. Jesus, a carpenter, is really a builder, and it probably makes him a stonemason, not, not an architect with you know, hammer and nails and wood, because they just didn't do that. He probably built things like this. Well, track with me for a moment, and, and let's think this thing through. Pause on our questions. We have three more. We're going to come back to it. But I want to draw you to this, and I, if I can for a moment, both asking permission but also declaring, I just want to preach to you for a moment. I just want you to, say, to see in this moment there's something more profound. I didn't try to make the question as tricky as it could have been, but I want to make sure you see it. So here's this announcement, this announcement that the, the angel is giving. Let's go back and read it in your Bibles, kind of picking it up there in verse 10. It says, And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For I bring you the gospel of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Think this through with me just for a moment. Here's how you're going to find him. I want you to go, you're going to find the Savior of the world. You're going to find the gospel. You're going to find the one who is that, and here's how you're going to find him. This is the sign. What's a sign? A sign is what brings directions, right? When you think about a sign and, and what that looks like, signs kind of point to something so that if you go and you say, okay, I'm trying to get to a restaurant, I'm trying to reach a, gar a yard sale, a sign says, it's over here. Go this direction. Here's where you're going to find it. So what were the signs? Two things. Two things, swaddling cloths and a manger. 
So what's the, sw- what's the point of swaddling cloths? Well, I'm going to just give you my quick take on it. Again, I didn't give you the question this morning, so it wouldn't, wasn't that complicated, at least in that, but I want to make sure you don't miss it. I believe the swaddling cloths point to Jesus dying on the cross. Think this through with me for a moment. You keep reading in the Bible. You keep reading, and, and you read this account of Jesus dying on the cross, and it gives us this interesting kind of description in John's Gospel. They take the body of Jesus off of the cross and they bound it in strips of linen, which is the custom, which is the custom of the Jews to bury. So Jesus is wrapped right now in strips of linen. They're just wrapping around his body, and then he's placed in the tomb. Well, as we're thinking about baby Jesus, I would at least ask you to explore with me the thought that I wonder. I wonder if that's what they used in this moment to kind of swaddle Jesus because let's think it through because the problem is when we say swaddling cloths we actually think well that's what you do you swaddle a baby you know it's like you know all babies are swaddled that's what you do or it's a baby in a diaper but if we can think it through in the most simple way if that's what it is then how is it a sign it would be like saying hey you're going to find the messiah he's wearing a diaper like all babies are wearing a diaper like how did that distinguish one baby from every other baby Jim's opinion, again, just without spending more weight into it, um, I don't think there was another baby in all of Bethlehem, maybe, in all of Israel that was so attired this night as Jesus is attired. There had to be something that made this stand out different than every other baby. You're going to find a baby. And he's wrapped. He's wrapped in swallowing cloths. Not only that, He's lying in a manger. And I've told you that in one sense, a manger is a stone, and I would tell you it's a foreshadowing of the resurrection. So think about it this way. So this is a manger, picture I took uh, there in Israel. So you could, this is what it looks like, probably a stone manger, but there's something more profound. Because if you also went with us to Israel, you would go over to Jerusalem, and we would take you to the garden tomb. One of the possible places that would be a picture of where Jesus rose, certainly a a representation of what it would have been, you would go into this and you'd understand the tombs were made out of stone because they make everything out of stone. And you step into that tomb and you'd find this burial chamber that is this carved out space out of stone. And if you could have put the two together, you would have looked on this night that Jesus was born and you would have seen a preview of what is to come. You would have seen this Baby, wrapped in swallowing cloths, lying in a manger. And I'm going to tell you, in 33 years, that's exactly what's going to happen. Jesus was going to die on the cross. He was going to be wrapped in, in linen cloths. And he was going to be laid in a tomb. And in this moment here, when you're thinking about Jesus, it's like a preview of what is to come. Is that important for you? Oh, a thousand ways, yes. So again, just let me preach for a moment and say this. The sign for them is the sign for you. Here's the gospel. Here's the gospel of the good news that is going to be for everybody. This is the Savior of the whole world. How are you supposed to find him? Do you want to know the only hope of the world? Do you want to know the one who is the very unpacking of hope for all mankind? How are you here in 2023 to find him? You look at Jesus. You look at the cross. It is in the cross and the resurrection that is our everything. Paul said, I have no other message. I have no other message to you than Jesus Christ and him crucified. Your answer that you need this morning is not the church. It's not morality. It's Jesus. 
You need the one that came to die for us, who came to give his life for us. And, and so at the very outset, there's this declaration like, I want you to find the gospel. I want you to find the one who is the savior of the whole world. And the way they find it is the way you find it. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, can I please tell you, I hope you're having fun. I hope you're not too miserable and you're getting questions wrong or any of those things, but I want to tell you there's hope here for you. It's a hope of the gospel and it's where it can be found and it's not found in us, it's not found in our story, it's found in Christ who died on the cross for your sin, who went to the grave and rose again so that you could have life and hope and at the very beginning, it is that story. You know, we've had this little image right at the top of the screen that is one of my favorite pictures uh, because in one sense, a picture speaks a thousand words. It's a manger with a shadow of a cross on it. And I think you're just supposed to find it that way. Okay, quick FYI, I know it's a wooden manger because <laughs> that's how they all make them. I, I, I have a couple of people that are trying, but I'm gonna continue to put out appeal. Are you an artist? Draw me a real manger. Draw me a, a real manger scene like we could use next. If God gives us another year, probably not. We're probably gonna be home by then, but if not... I would like one of these that say they have it not as a wooden manger, but still the cross is so powerful to say, I get it, I see it. I come to the celebrate what this is and it's, it's about a savior. Okay, we have three more questions, three more questions. Let's just kind of quickly hit them. They are questions that are a part of the text this morning, but not the normal one that most of us know. So maybe you got it, um, but it certainly is meant to be just challenging to make sure you read it. So how did Simeon know? How did Simeon know that the Messiah was coming? How did he know that he was going to be born? And the scriptural answer is that the Spirit showed him. That's exactly what it tells us. Let's just go back to the story. You're there in Luke chapter 2, right? You're, re- you're reading with us, so you read the story. Jesus is circumcised. Some of you are like, I didn't know that was there, but now it's there. Verse 21. Um, then it tells us about his purification, the different things that are there. Jump down to verse 25. It says, And behold... There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, which is the Messiah, which is Jesus. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So the Holy Spirit is telling him, hey, you're going to see it. Before you die, you're going to see it. And then... Verse 27, so he came by the Spirit. So not only does he have this confidence, you know, the Spirit guides him at that same moment that Jesus is being circumcised and named. He came by the Spirit in the temple when his parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. And he, Simeon, takes Jesus, eight-day-old Jesus, baby Jesus. He gets to take Jesus up in his arms and he blesses God and says, Lord, now... You are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. I'm holding this baby. This is, this is it. This is our salvation, which you prepared before the, peace, the face of all peoples to bring a revelation to the Gentiles, you and me this morning for most of us, and the glory of your people, Israel. Hey, this is it. I mean, it's an incredible story. It's this incredible story that Simeon is led in this moment to see Jesus. We prayed for it just a moment ago but I just want to highlight it again. I hope you're having fun. I hope I'm not totally making you miserable, but I'm also longing that somehow in the midst of this, the Holy Spirit is just talking to you. 
And you're like, I'm listening, Jim, but I've hearing, I'm, I'm hearing something. God is inviting me. We pray for it all the time. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit of God is showing us. And he will do it so that in the midst of today, and in the midst of this Christmas season, you could be like, I know what God's showing me. He's showing me this. And maybe it's a part of the story that you knew or didn't know. And you're like, I just needed to feel the weight of this incredible account of Christ. And I'm hoping you hear it. And if it's so this morning, it is by the Spirit. All right. Number 19. How old was Anna? How old was Anna? I mean, it's one of those interesting things. The Bible actually tells us in the few verses that we have recorded here in this thing, it tells us exactly how old she is. How old is she? She is 84 years old. Hey, go down there so you can see it. So Simeon's there. He's holding Jesus. He's blessing him. Verse 36. Now, there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age. And had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. This woman was a widow of about 84 years. Some of your translations will say it differently. Simply put, she's 84 years old. She's 84 years old. She didn't depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, the very instant that Simeon is holding Jesus, she sees them and she begins to give thanks to the Lord. Interesting kind of little story. So you might say, well, Jim, that's a trick question. Whoever pays attention to those kind of details? Well, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you should. Why would the Holy Spirit toss this in there? Well, I don't know all the reasons. But I'll say two quick things. There's still hope for you. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how old you are. If you're here this morning and you haven't yet believed in Jesus and you're alive, if there's life, there is hope. And you're not done. I mean, we just want to say, if, you're, if he's still drawing you, she at 84 years old finally gets to see the hope of Christ, and she sees him. And she's a part of the story. Maybe it's your story. Maybe you do know Jesus, and I'm speaking to you, maybe you are older. I mean, maybe someone in this room, you're like, I'm 84, how'd you know? You know, kind of deal. I didn't. Um, but here's the deal. Maybe you're here this morning, and you feel like you're no longer part of the story. Maybe you're like, you know, Christmas is for young people. Christmas is for families. Christmas is for having little kids. I'm old. I'm old. Like, what part does the Christmas story have to do with me? Well, the actual story puts that in there. The actual story says, here's an 84-year-old woman. She's, really, she's old. She's of great age, it says. And she gets to see it. I just want to invite you. I just want to invite you to make sure that this day, you don't feel like you're outside of the biblical story. Well, that draws us to our last question that we'll end with. So verse number 20, what did it, who did Anna tell about Jesus' birth? The answer is B, those who are looking for redemption. Again, that's exactly what it says. Notice it with me. I only read half the verse a moment ago. Verse 38, coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and she spoke of him. She begins telling everybody about Jesus. She spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Maybe you put down that she spoke to everybody who had listened. That's not a bad piece of advice because maybe you don't know, but somehow the Holy Spirit let us know. Hey, those who are looking for it, those are the ones she talked to. You know, we end this kind of space before I give you a moment to, to count up your questions. I just want to say one more time, that's who we really get to speak to. You know, if you're not looking for redemption, if you're not looking for hope, you're not looking for salvation, you're not looking for a savior, you're not going to find him. Uh, God says, if you'll, if you'll seek him, if you'll look for him, if you'll draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. And those who are looking for it, heard it. And I wonder if that's you. 
Maybe, again, you're here this morning and you're outside of this, and you are looking for it. You're like, I, I'm, my life is a mess. I sure could use help. I, I'm a sinner. I, I feel my sin. I need help. Then you're the exact person we want to make sure you hear. We want to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you about Jesus. Maybe for some of you, that's what you're, you get to do this weekend, tell people about Jesus. If you know Jesus and you're his, well, I get to tell you, I wonder if you're still looking for redemption. I want to say in the most simple way, if you're asking who's looking for redemption, my hand's up. I'm, I'm looking for Jesus to come back. I'm looking for him to complete this whole thing. I'm looking for a new heavens and new earth, and there's hope that's found here. And I want to hear the hope that is the authentic biblical hope, and I hope that's exactly what you've been met with this morning. Okay. Do it for a second if you haven't already started to go through and count up. You had 20 questions there. Find out how many of them you got right. If you're looking for a grade on the, on the screen, I'll kind of put it up there. If you got them all right, we'll give you an A+. Plus. Uh, we'll give you an A+. Plus if you got it all right, maybe somebody did. If you only missed three, you can still get an A. You're going to work your way down there. If you missed half of them, we'll give you an E for effort. If you give, give half of them, we'll give you an E for effort. If you missed more than half of them, then I just get to tell you lovingly, hey, you know what, maybe this is an invitation. Maybe this is an invitation, and I mean it for an invitation for all of you, because see, again, for some of you, you're like, I've read this story every year, and I still don't remember those things. Well, maybe you need to read it again. Maybe you need to read it again. It's only two chapters in the Bible. If you read Matthew 2 and Luke 2, you get the story of Jesus' birth. You should know it. You should know the, the, these chapters that are in the midst of it, it's worth your understanding. In fact, I hold this out to you. Jesus, in speaking about it, said it this way. He said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Hey, we end this morning and just say, hey, I don't know if this was fun for you, not fun, but the point of it is we're drawing you to the truth. We're drawing you to the truth. And Jesus said, if you believe this, I mean, you know, if you know this book, then you're actually living the kind of Christian life you're supposed to live. You're really my disciple. You're really my follower. Again, if that's not where you are, if you find yourself thinking, I do none of these questions, well, you know, here it is. Here it is. Maybe it's an invitation to say, I don't, I don't, I don't I, you know, I have too many other, you know, kind of stories in my head when I think about the Christmas story, you know, movies and plays, they seem to have more weight than the scripture. Well, Jesus says, hey, know this. And then he just holds it out as an offer. If you know this, this will bring you freedom. This will bring you freedom. He says, if you know the truth, this will, this will rescue you. It'll rescue you from sin. It'll help you walk in it. And, 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 and the weight of the Christmas story, I hope I've carried you through in details that you could find yourself thinking, there is freedom in finding out the, the real story and what it means and why it's there. Because the story itself tells the story that I really need. And, and you do as well. Well, let's close with that. You can close your Bibles, notebooks, and we're going to take a few moments to pray um, and, and close in worship. So we do this each week, and we're just going to close right now in the same way. We want to just give you a moment to pray. And it's a special invitation to say, would you take a quick moment and talk to God about what he's talked to you about this morning? And I mean this genuinely. We prayed for it at the beginning. We asked the Holy Spirit to give you ears to hear what he wanted you to hear. I hope that some of them you're thinking through, but I'm betting if you're paying attention, one part of this story is you're like, I needed to hear that. I need to think through that. I need, I need what that is. Would you take a moment and talk to God about that? If you don't know Jesus, maybe you're just recognizing, you're looking for redemption, you're looking for hope. Talk to him about it.
and then come and talk to us afterwards. We'd love to pray with you and help you enter into a relationship with God through Jesus this morning. But quietly, would you take a moment, talk to him? I'll do the same, and we'll close in worship together in just a moment. God, you are so able. Holy Spirit, I think about the promise of you being the one who would guide us into all truth. We asked for it, that you would give us ears to hear what you are speaking. I pray we've heard it, that like Simeon, you would have guided us and you'd be speaking to us now, drawing us to the life that you have for us. Meet your people in a way that just draws us to this to the real reality. Jesus, we think about this is not a fictional account. It's not meant to be changed or seen differently. You came, wonderfully, gloriously came. I think about the weight of the gospel that you are, that you were born to be our Savior. Help us to see it. Help us to see you, to be drawn to you. Open up our eyes to see and follow you even now. We ask for that together in Jesus' name. Amen.